God will have it, I'd like to lead us in a greater experience of God through prayer at Redeemer. I haven't been the best leader through example or priority or leadership when it comes to prayer. Concerning my example, I am no prayer warrior. And those of you who have been praying earnestly for me over the last several months regarding my cancer, thank you. Please keep it up. But if you'd like to shift, I'd be all right with that. I feel like I'm doing pretty good on the cancer front. So much of it is behind me, but I would love for you to shift the emphasis of your prayers. Now, you can continue to please pray for my health. But if you would pray, God, would you make Pastor Mitch a man of prayer more than he ever has been? That would be delightful. I haven't been the best leader through priority. If you were to take 13 years of my ministry here and gather it all up and spit out the priorities of Pastor Mitch, prayer is probably not going to spit out at the top or Sadly, even near the top, I think in the early days that I was here, I certainly called Redeemer Community Church to be a place that cries out to God in prayer. But that has waned, I think, over the years, and so if God would have it, I want to make it more of a priority. So I hope that God will stir something in us in the coming months and even years of prayer. This Christmas series, I really haven't given it a title, but if I, if I did, I would call it Christmas Acts. You can see it right over here, A-C-T-S. And if you've been around the church world for any amount of time, you probably know about the prayer acronym of Acts. It's a simple way to pray. Adoration confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Supplication is just a fancy word for asking God to supply your needs. What I'm hopeful to do over these next four weeks is to kind of take the Christmas story and adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and if I can, put them together just a bit to encourage us and equip us in our prayer lives. Now, if you're a prayer warrior, maybe this series isn't for you. But if you're like me and say, boy, I need, I need to be stirred up again. I need to be encouraged again. I need to be equipped again in a vibrant prayer life. Then maybe this series will be for you. In the month of January, I'm going to call us to a month of prayer and possibly even fasting. And so I'll be talking about that over the next several weeks as well. What I'd like to do in the month of January is ask all of us to pray. Pray that we would experience God and his grace and his love and his mercy here at Redeemer in new and fresh ways. I'm going to give you a 31-day guide for those prayers if you need help. 
but also in the five Sunday evenings of January, I'm going to call all of us to come here on Sunday evenings from 5 to 6 o'clock just for one hour to pray together as a church family. We'll do different things each of those five weeks, split up into groups and all those kinds of things, but we want to come together and pray. We'll have childcare for the little ones, and Katie Katner is going to be putting some fun stuff together for our kids, but not just fun stuff. She wants to teach them as well about prayer and even get them praying also for our church. Junior and senior high students, Mike is going to be in here in the big gathering, and we want you to join us as well in here to pray for our church those five Sundays in January. We're also thinking about closing that month of prayer with a 24-hour concert of prayer, if you will, a chain of prayer that we'll talk more about. We want to express our dependence upon God. We want to acknowledge before him that we know that apart from him, we can do nothing. We want to affirm before him that we believe and trust that he can do it all. We want to ask him and call upon him to renew us, refresh us, strengthen us, empower us, lead us as we seek to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. And so during the month of December, Christmas and Acts. In the month of January, calling upon us to pray. Leading up to Awaken Houston, West Houston, which will be in the month of March. A bunch of pastors here in Katy have been thinking about this and have recently gotten together. We're learning from a church in Nashville as well as my friends up in Jonesboro, Arkansas. We're looking to collaborate with other churches here in Katy and raise up hundreds, if not thousands of believers who will pray in the month of March for every household by name in Katy. 95,000 Households by name. You'll hear more about it certainly early in the year. But imagine thousands of believers all across Katy praying and fasting for every household in our city by name. So let's begin this week with adoration. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Of course, adoration is praising the Lord for the awesome God that he is. Confession is coming before him to admit our sins, to confess our sins, and to ask God for his wonderful forgiveness and mercy towards us. Of course, thanksgiving is thanking God for all of the wonderful things that he has done for us. And then supplication is bringing our request to God both for ourselves and for others. And so just to get us started and just to let the cat out of the bag, if you will, if your prayer life 
needs some encouragement, needs some equipping, needs a bit of spurring on. If, if maybe yesteryear were the days of a passionate prayer life for you, but maybe not so much now, I would encourage you to take that simple model, this simple model, and begin to practice it daily throughout this Christmas season. Of course, we're going to focus on adoration this morning and confession next week and the following, but go ahead and begin to practice A-C-T-S each and every day this Christmas season. Maybe you only have 10 minutes to sit quietly in the morning and pray. Spend a few minutes in adoration, a few minutes in confession, a few minutes in thanksgiving, a few minutes in supplication. In Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. I think to sum it up, I would just simply begin like this. Christmas is a great time to adore God. To adore him, to praise him, to glorify him, to magnify him. We just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything and I will adore you. May God give us that kind of spirit. In the early parts of Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to Zacharias. Zacharias is one of the priests, and he has a wife named Elizabeth, and they are barren. They are old, and they are barren, and they can have no children. And an angel appears to Zacharias and tells him that, in fact, they're going to have a child. And that child, of course, will be John the Baptist. He'll be the one who will prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And then in chapter 1, verse 26, the angel Gabriel then goes and appears to Mary, this young girl betrothed to Joseph, engaged to Joseph, but not married yet. They had never had relations, and yet the angel says to her, you're going to have a child. Mary wasn't so sure what to make of it, and in verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. The angel goes on to tell her that her relative in verse 36, behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. God can give a child to an old, barren couple. God can give a child to a young girl who's never been with a man. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. The angel departed for, from her, and Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah, 
entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And now in verse 46, and Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. Traditionally, Mary's song here is called the Magnificat because in the Latin translation of this text, that's the first word. Magnificat. Magnify the Lord, soul. My soul exalts the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. The Greek word here is megaluno. Magnify, to make great, to praise, to extol. She's absolutely thrilled at what God has revealed to her and what God is doing in her relative Elizabeth. She understands now that the forerunner is to be born as is the Messiah. And it leads her to magnify the Lord, to praise him, to exalt him, to extol him, to adore God for what he is doing. She sings her song of praise, and down in verse 57, Elizabeth gives birth to John. And in verse 67, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Traditionally, this song of Zacharias is called the Benedictus because in the Latin translation, that is the first word. In Greek, in which Luke wrote this, it's eulogetas. We get our word eulogy. And usually we do a eulogy for someone who has passed, right? We speak great things about this person. But it doesn't, the word doesn't necessarily have to be only for someone who has passed away. The word means to bless, to speak well of. Zacharias is blessing the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and accomplished redemption for his people. He's looking forward and he believes that God is now going to raise up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. The Messiah, the Christ, is going to be born. And later in his song, he talks of his own son. In verse 76, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his way to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Mary 
magnifies the Lord. Zacharias eulogizes the Lord, blesses the Lord, speaks well of the Lord. In chapter 2, in the early verses, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Verse 6, while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Apparently, one angel appears and tells them about the birth of the Savior and then a multitude of the heavenly host appear. And they are praising God. It's a a different Greek word. Aneo means to praise. Always in the New Testament, this word Praise is associated with praising God. It is to sing or to speak of the excellence of a person. And so Mary magnifies the Lord. And Zacharias eulogizes, blesses the Lord. And the heavenly host praise the Lord. Christmas is a great time to adore God. After the shepherds had this experience of seeing the multitude of the angels and hearing what was told them about the birth of the Savior, in verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, They made known the statement which had been told them about this child. Back there. He's been born for you a savior who's Christ. Mary, this is what the angel told us. This little baby here is the Messiah. She probably looked back at him and said, I know. Gabriel told me the same thing. All who heard it wondered at the things which were being told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Different Greek word, doxetso. To glorify or to honor. To speak of something being unusually fine and deserving of honor. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God. Jesus is eight days old. 
Verse 21, they took him up to Jerusalem for his circumcision. In verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. This man was longing for the promises of God to come in fulfillment, longing for the long-awaited Messiah to be born. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Maybe as this man was getting older and death was approaching, maybe he thought, all those years of longing and all those years of hoping and all those years of praying, it's not going to be in my day. Maybe toward the end of his life, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that in fact it, it, it is in your day. You won't see death before you've seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God. We've seen that word before. That's the the eulogy. He blessed God. And said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. One more in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. Maybe there's a little hyperbole there. But the idea, you know, every time the church doors were open, I was there, never more so than this lady. It seemed like Anna was always at the temple, serving, fasting, praying. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. As Simeon held baby Jesus in his arms and blessed God, here comes Anna giving thanks to God. It's a long Greek word. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. I could try to pronounce it, but I'd get it wrong. But it means giving of thanks, gratitude, The point is, Christmas is a great time to adore God. Mary sure thought it was. Zacharias sure thought it was. The angels sure thought it was. The shepherds sure thought it was. Simeon sure thought it was. Anna sure thought it was. To magnify the Lord, to eulogize, to bless the Lord, to praise him, to glorify him, to give him thanks the truth of Christmas, the amazing faithfulness of God to keep his ancient promises coming forth from an overflowing 
heart of love and grace and mercy towards his sinful people. He sends his son, his only son, into the world to become one of us, to live a life that you and I could not live and then to go to that cross and to take upon himself the sins of his people and to bear our sins on the cross and then to be raised and ascend in glory. Because Christmas, right, is just the beginning of the great story. Certainly it's the celebration of the incarnation of Christ, but we can't talk about his incarnation without talking about it all. And the truth of Christmas touches the heart and immediately the soul shifts upward, at least it did for these. Mary's overcome with it and so she she turns upward to magnify him. Zacharias is is overcome with it. And so his soul shifts upward to bless the Lord. The heavenly hosts, the angels, they're overcome with it, if you will. And they, did they shift upward? I don't know. Maybe they shift to the side. What What do the angelic hosts do? who are in the presence of God, that they appeared to those shepherds and they praised God. Glory to God in the highest. The shepherds, they hear it, their hearts are touched by it. They go and they see the baby. Mary, Joseph, here's what they told us. And then they go away glorifying God. Their soul shifts upward To him, Simeon, who who thought his prayers would never be answered, and then lo and behold, here is the Messiah. He takes that baby and his soul turns up to bless God. And Anna comes up and thanks God. So the Christmas story is just filled with praise, adoration, magnification, glorification, thanksgiving towards God. Adoration is a good place for you and me to start in prayer. Jesus, as he taught us to pray in Matthew chapter six, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, be thy name. I quoted from Keller last week. I quote again from him today a couple times, maybe more. This is his wonderful book, Timothy Keller on Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. In Jesus' instruction on prayer, the Lord's Prayer, praise comes first. In what ways is praise primary? Praise motivates the other kinds of prayer. And when he talks about other kinds, here we've got, we've got four kinds of prayer. He puts adoration and thanksgiving together. I'm going to read you that in just a bit. 
And so there's three kinds of prayer. There's upward prayer, prayer, praise and thanksgiving that focuses on God himself. We could call this the prayer of awe. Then there's inward prayer, self-examination and confession that brings a deep sense of sin and in return, a higher experience of grace and assurance of love. That is the prayer of intimacy. Finally, there is outward prayer, supplication and intercession that focuses on our needs and the needs of others in the world. This prayer requires perseverance and often entails struggle. So he says, in what ways is praise primary? Praise motivates the other kinds of prayer. The more we attend to God's perfect holiness and justice, the more readily we will see our own flaws and confess them. Seeing God's greatness also leads to supplication. The more we sense his majesty and the more we realize our dependence on him, the more readily we will go to him for every need. We could say that awe-filled adoration of God corrects the other forms of prayer. Years ago, I was teaching on the Lord's Prayer and commented rather offhandedly that since adoration comes before asking God for daily bread, we need to spend time thanking and praising God for who he is before we go to our prayer list of needs. One woman in my congregation took this to heart and a couple of weeks later related what a difference the advice had made. Before, she said, I would run right to my prayer list and the more I went through all the problems and needs, the more anxious and burdened I would get. Now I've started spending time thinking about how good and wise he is and how many prayers he's answered of mine in the past. And when I get to my own needs, now I find I can put them in his hands and I feel the burden coming off me rather than on me. I never forgot her testimony because she had taken a principle I barely understood myself and appropriated it in her life. Praise and adoration are the necessary preconditions for the proper formulation and motivation of all other kinds of prayer. This doesn't mean we can never go immediately to petition or confession, but it means that in our overall prayer life, praise and adoration must have a prime place. R.C. Sproul the first element of prayer should be adoration or praise. The Psalms, which are inspired samples of godly prayer, are heavily weighted on the side of adoration. I've noticed over many years that as we grow in the discipline and in the delight of prayer, it seems that we naturally spend more and more of our time on this first element. The great Matthew Henry commenting on Jesus, beginning, if you will, with hallowed be thy name. We must begin our prayers with praising God. And it is very fit he should be first served and that we should give glory to God before we expect to receive mercy and grace from him. Let him have praises of his perfection and then let us have the benefit of them. One more from Keller. Adoration and thanksgiving, God-centeredness, comes first because it heals the heart of its self-centeredness. 
which curves us in on ourselves and distorts all our vision. Adoration and confession heals that. It, it opens us up, if you will, to a God-centeredness. So let's focus in our prayers first on adoration. Not that you can't ever, as Keller would say, begin with confession or with petition. But if we're looking to stir up our prayer lives that maybe have grown cold, maybe the best way to begin to warm our heart to a vibrant prayer life is to begin again with adoration, praise, the glorification of God. simplest way I learned this years and years ago is simply to pray, Lord, you are, and then fill in the blank. And fill it in, hopefully, with biblical and true and wonderful truth about him. And not just filling in words just as quickly as we can, but to say, Lord, you are are gracious. And to ponder that, to meditate upon that, and pray about the ways that he has been gracious to you. Or to say, Lord, you are powerful. You spoke the universe into existence by the word of your power. You spoke and it came to be. To the blind man, you just essentially said, open. The eyes were open and deaf ears could hear and a, a speechless mouth could speak and praise God again. A dead man like Lazarus can be dead and at the word of Christ come forth and life returns again to a dead body. You are powerful. Oh God, you are wise. Who is like you? Who can put things together in ways that none of us could imagine in such a way that at the end of it all, we would say, of course. God, you are truthful. Every word that you have ever spoken is filled with truth. Begin your prayers with, Lord, you are. Adoration can also find its way in the adjectives that we choose as we address God. The wonderful God, the mighty God, the gracious God, the all-wise God. What kinds of words do we connect with him? And of course, it's not just the connecting of the words, but the pondering and the praising of him for the truth that they convey. Time to go. In your prayers this Christmas and forevermore, practice this delightful discipline of adoring God.
quickly for many of us, it might mean getting up a little bit earlier. Again, it's if your prayer life needs some help. Maybe you get up a little bit earlier this Christmas season to devote some time to God in prayer. So get up earlier, maybe. Secondly, slow down. All right, this gets back to what we've been saying, but you've heard me say often our prayers are what? Gimme, 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 help me, help me, help me. I mean, we just jump straight to petition, straight to supplication. Supply my needs, I need help. One guy said, we have turned acts into scat. And what he meant was we put supplication first and we just jump right in to all of our needs and how we need God to come through for us. And I would say to you and me, slow down. Seek the face of God. Our God is truly great and he is worthy of your praise and adoration and worship. One exercise for some could be simply this, that for the rest of December, in your life of prayer, only adore him, only worship him, only praise him. I'm encouraging all of us to go through all of these each and every day, but, but maybe someone would take it up just to say, I'm spending the month of December to do nothing in his presence but praise him for his greatness and his glory. He is worthy of it. Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, and here's another. So get up earlier, slow down, spend some time in adoration. Fill your mind, and if you can't fill your mind, write them out so you can use them in prayer. And as you continue to use them in prayer, they maybe become more a part of you, and you don't have to have them written out. But Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Revelation 5, 12. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 5, 13. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever, our God and his Christ are worthy of our adoration, praise, worship, thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1, after recounting God's grace and mercy and kindness towards him, couldn't help it. He just exclaimed, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. He is worthy of our praise, or the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11. If you know anything about Romans, he spends 1 through 11 on the, on the incredible mercy of God in providing salvation for sinners like you and me, among a whole bunch of other things. And when he gets to the end of it, before he turns in chapter 12 to the more practical matters of living out the Christian life, he closes chapter 11. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. 
Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Nobody. Or who has given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Is anybody given to God in such a way that he is now in debt to you? No. And then he closes, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. We're Redeemer Community Church. And if something could be said about us, maybe is that we can be a little heady. We love to study the scriptures. Some of us love to study theology. J.I. Packer reminds those of us that are like that with this. The purpose of theology is doxology. What is doxology? Doxology is praise, doxa, glorify God. The purpose of theology is doxology. We study in order to praise. Christmas is a great time to adore our God, to praise him, to worship him, to glorify him. So this Christmas season and forevermore, may you and I in our prayer lives delight to praise him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the faithful God. From the moment sin entered the world in Genesis 3, by verse 15, you'd made a promise that from the woman would come forth a seed, a descendant, who would crush the serpent's head. And you were faithful. You fulfilled that promise in your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You are a faithful, promise-keeping God. And you are a loving God. From where did this bubble up, this thing called Christmas? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You are love, and we are so grateful. You are merciful. Not a one of us deserved forgiveness. Not a one of us deserve to be your child. Not a one of us deserve the sure promises of God. But you have not treated us as our sins deserve. 
you loved us with an everlasting love. And you have sent Jesus into the world for sinners just like us. It's why he came. Oh, the mercy of God. We bless you. We thank you. We praise you. And Father, might you take this month, the months to come, the years to come, and as the disciples looked at Jesus, maybe it would be our prayer as well. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And Lord, any who are here who've never put their trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation, would you open their hearts right now to see the glory of God, to see their sins, and to see Jesus as their Savior and as the new leader of their life, their Lord. Bring them to trust and faith in Jesus Christ even right now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.